Hello, everyone, and welcome again into A Place for Healing from Bethesda Workshops in Nashville, Tennessee. I am Jim Cress. Good to be with you today. And uh, I'm joined today by my colleague and good friend, Kirk McDermott. He is a, a counselor in his own right and a man who really has spent a lot of time on the front lines of the lives of men and women, couples, and uh, I tell you what, he has a real heart for, for men who are broken in their lives, certainly broken in their sexuality. And God is using this man, Kirk McDermott, my good brother, uh, powerfully. And you're going to hear from him today. Uh, one of the things that we, we teach at Bethesda Workshops is it's kind of like the, the thing guys come gunning for, you know, like, let's get to the practical. You know, they want to know those tools of recovery. And uh, that's one of the the specialties that uh, Kirk teaches for us, and we're going to get to that in just a moment. So today, tools of recovery for sexual addictions. Open your toolbox and get ready. Now, this assumes, by the way, that there's uh, a whole lot more in the way of a foundation laid before you jump right to the tools. And uh, we'll we'll let you know that if you haven't heard, there's a lot more information at BethesdaWorkshops.org, including many other programs that deal with some of the other facets and components of sexual addiction recovery. Most of all, we're, we're glad you have stopped by today. And throughout the broadcast, uh, you're going to hear uh, some some spots with our, our executive and clinical director, Marnie Faree, talking about what, what, what Bethesda is really all about. Up first, I'll give you again the website, BethesdaWorkshops.org. You probably already know that website, don't you? Because you're here listening. Unless someone's downloaded or found a way to get this uh, program to you in another way, in another medium. And the telephone number, 866-464-4325. That's 866-464-HEAL if you want to find out more about our workshops. And there's a lot going on at Bethesda Workshops. Well, as we welcome in uh, my good friend Kirk McDermott, one of the things that certainly goes on, is, as I've already alluded to, is, well, let's get to the practical. Let's teach these tools. And uh, we don't teach them right up front, Kirk, as much as some of the guys uh, who would like to. Well, we've got to come to terms with what's underneath the addiction, uh, understanding the trauma, understanding what are those things that are driving it, the needs that we have, understanding our emotions and how to how to dig into those things so that the tools can actually be practical and useful. I think a lot of guys try to put these tools into practice and end up white knuckling it. If we if we just try to cut the tree off at the top, yeah, then we don't and we don't get the roots, then uh, it's going to grow back. And so these tools of recovery have to be uh, put into place after we understand, have a have a good understanding of what's happening underneath the surface. So we'll get guys. Obviously, you have them in your practice, my practice. We'll get them at Bethesda Workshop who can come in with. Uh, they've tried Jesus. They've tried the Bible, or trying just to do better or some men's event and all obviously great things they've tried this and they've tried that we say here that uh, it's sexual addiction and sexual addiction recovery uh, we'll say it's a multifaceted problem that requires a multifaceted solution so it's not tool of recovery is it it's tools there are a lot of tools out there 
There are a lot of tools, <clears throat> and uh, and and it, it's what's important is that is that is we understand what true sobriety is. It, it's about a, a whole life change, and so sometimes we've been putting into practice some tools to to change one aspect of our lives or or to just do better on the outside. But if we if we're not actually understanding what's underneath the surface and we're not dealing with what's on the inside, then these external changes really don't make any difference. Uh, it just becomes a white knuckling kind of uh, an experience and and before long we find ourselves right back in the addiction and and then usually deeper into the addiction because we then we hear what these guys are saying well i've tried that and it doesn't work we talk a lot about recovery the recovery process recovery movement the 12 steps let's just dive in and talk about what is recovery well recovery is it's about that internal change first of all i've got to accept the fact that i've got an addiction and what that addiction means um got to understand how the past is influencing me all those those tra- those traumatic experiences those mm-hmm. those deficits that the abandonments or the hurts from from either family of origin or peers or, or uh, from other places um, and I've got to be able to uh, understand character defects and the things that uh, the things that I have uh, inside of my life that uh, that continue to uh, per- you know bring about the addiction um, Recovery is about also trying some new things. Uh, oftentimes, uh, we hear in, in in the recovery circles that uh, that the uh, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. Right. And so, we're, we're having to do some different things. And so, recovery is really about developing some internal attitudes, some changes from the inside out. I've got to be willing. I've got to be. Um, become um, teachable and surrender um, all of my best thinking and those things that I've been doing. Becoming rigorously honest, um, um, developing some humility because most of us as addicts have lived our lives in two different uh, two different ends of the same spectrum, which is shame, or then we go to the other end to pride, and so we've got to develop that humility, uh, uh, just a, a realistic view, um, like God's view of who we really are. Uh, so those are just a few of those uh, of, uh, those internal attitudes that that need to change that actually bring about true sobriety, not just those external changes. Yeah, often we've said that people will try, even if they're well-meaning, to find an external solution to a, an internal problem. Recovery really is matching or congruent with the Christian life, isn't it? Because well, you and I both actually, as, as friends and brothers in, in the Lord, we, we grew up in systems, faith systems, that there was a lot of legalism and there was a lot of uh, uh, emphasis on the externals. Well, that's why there's probably a lot of addicts in the church, don't you think? Yeah, the uh, we can think about it in terms of psychology, uh, which is recovery, or you know, it matches up with the theological concept of sanctification, where we begin to live out the life changes, the salvation that we've been given, and so that's that. That sanctification is that process of becoming more and more Christ-like, not not on the outside, because Christ talked about that in the in the New Testament. He was talking to the Pharisees, who had a lot of external, external. Um, actions that they showed but there was no internal change and he mm-hmm. called them whitewashed sepulchers and and so this process of sanctification is about allowing god to come into those places in our life that we have probably not even brought to light and begin to bring those to the light and allow him to make changes in those in those areas you know attitude certainly isn't everything but it is really important let's talk about some of the foundational principles like on on just a foundation of recovery what needs to be in place we're starting off in this journey for attitude is what we've often called that stinking thinking that's not going to help 
No, we've got to begin to we've got to begin to be willing and teachable. Um, uh, asking for help, first of all, is just accepting that we've got a problem and and we can't solve this on our own. And so we become willing to uh, bring other people into our lives and and talk to other people that especially those who have uh, who've gone before us who have who've uh, um, already made a journey and and have gotten uh, a degree of sobriety and and have made some life mm-hmm. changes. We begin to be rigorously honest with them about what's going on in our lives, getting into those nitty-gritty details, those things that we don't want to share, that, uh, that when we, those secrets that keep us sick. And when we're rigorously honest about those things, we bring other people, we bring God into those uh, areas in our lives that we've, that we've kept secret. And when we be- bring those to the light, we begin to get some healing for those, the shame lessons, and we learn that we are acceptable even with these with these. Um, flaws and these and these problems, um, we learn that we can be accepted, and then we also learn the acceptance of of other people, which is uh, another attitude that we mm-hmm. that is really important. It also brings about that, that ties right in with the humility that we already talked about uh, when we when we begin to get a realistic view of who we are. When we don't have those secrets and we let that shame go, we can we can live a life in humility, being able to understand who we are. Um, as God's child, not trying to make ourselves better than what we really are, and not living in that place where we're thinking that we're that we're not good enough um, and unacceptable, but a, a, a child of God who's been uh, who's been adopted and given an, uh, a joint um, um, joint as a joint heir with Christ. That's not a small thing, you know. We kind of go right through that and say like we're joint heirs with Christ. There's certainly power in addiction. Uh, even though it ends up really, really more impotent there. But there's this, quote, power and addiction. But that's pretty powerful what you said, reminder of the joint heir with Christ, the power that's in recovery as well. It absolutely is. And, that, and uh, one of the things that we teach here at Bethesda is that uh, that who we believed we were, who we, our belief system is, is, is the most powerful things in our yeah, life. Right. And so most of us is in our addiction, uh, you know, in that trauma, we learned – some pretty negative things about ourselves. We lived out of that shame. And, and so when we, in this process of recovery or sanctification, we begin to to really get a hold of, at the deepest levels in our lives, uh, that true identity that we are adopted as sons and, and heirs and joint heirs with Christ and, and what that really means. I mean, it, it's, a, it's a powerful, uh, life-transforming um, concept when we really begin to get a hold of it and live it out. And, of course, we can, as we know well, confess all that we've done, forgive others, and certainly forgive ourselves. And you've talked, I know, as you teach this, about surrender and gratitude. These are key components, kind of thinking of building that platform or that foundation. Uh, it doesn't mean, I guess, you get all these fixed in one moment, but you might work with a good therapist and, uh, and say, help me to, to get some of these, these planks in place that I might build the rest of my recovery on. Right. This is a this is actually a lifelong process, and so it's not just something that happens overnight. And 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 we're never fully we're never fully there, um, but we're constantly learning and on the journey. And that one of some of the tools that that we that we put into place and that we that we encourage here at Bethesda are those are the twelve steps. Uh, I don't really even like the term twelve steps. I, I like to think it more of twelve principles because uh, it's right. not a place where we arrive, but it's yeah. a, it's something that we just these twelve principles that we begin to put into place and live by uh, so that we're, we're constantly digging in deeper and finding new things about ourselves that, we, that we've got to uh, acknowledge and surrender and, 
um, living out that life of, uh, of true humility and connection with other people. Well, Kirk McDermott is with us today. I'm Jim Crest. This is a place for healing from Bethesda Workshops. And uh, we're talking today about tools of recovery, important things that you can have in that toolbox, those tools that will help you in recovery, whether you're a therapist working with people, especially sex addicts, or a person listening today who just has a level of interest, you say, yeah, I struggle as well. That's what the focus of our program is about today. I want to talk for just a moment about the whole idea of cravings. I mean, it's like if I could just make the cravings go away with any addiction, food, sex, money, what have you, drugs, alcohol, that'd sure be easy. Uh, often um, the cravings are there, and it's, we're trying just to get past them to even get going into recovery. It's hard. They're hard to manage. Yeah, and if we don't, if we don't understand a craving, uh, first of all, what it is, how long it lasts, where it's coming from, uh, and we go back, if we just, if we're just trying to get out of it, we usually will go back to the same things that we've always done. Uh, so we talk about those cravings and, and what they mean. Um, we've all, we always tie those back in here at Bethesda, taking a look back into that trauma egg. What is, what, what is our trauma saying about us at that moment? What are we looking for? Um, what we teach is, uh, is in the moment of that craving, we've got to know that it, it's not going to last very long. If we, if we don't just sit and, and, and sit in it, we, we take a long-term approach, remembering that we, uh, the goals of our sobriety, um, we, and we encourage guys to just get outside of themselves in that moment, call somebody, talk with somebody, just getting it outside of our head makes a difference. And one thing that I've really learned to do that's been really helpful for me is is checking in with myself. What am I really needing? Because my, what yeah. I used to what what used to be the um, what I used to do is just think that I, what what my craving was was what I was really desiring. But when I right. came to know that I was actually desiring something else, and when I began to check in, what am I really needing? You know, I might be needing to uh, to. Uh, feel in control of my life. Maybe things are getting outside of, con- you know, out of control or I'm needing some connection or intimacy or needing to feel loved or, or something along those lines. Then, then I can actually do something about that. I can, I can take that to someone and, and talk about it and get those needs actually met. It's like the craving is a little bit like that light on the dashboard of your car. That's not the problem. It's telling you check beneath the hood. Something else is going right. Yeah, exactly. So we have to check. We what we typically do when we get a craving is we check out, and so the wow, craving yeah. is this craving. When we get a craving, our, we got to learn to check in and go deeper with it. What am I really looking for? Uh, we're talking today, and and we're going to continue talking about the whole realm of tools of recovery. This is specifically for sexual addiction. And Kirk McDermott is with us. We'll take a break here coming up in just uh, a little bit today. Let's talk about abstinence. That is a dreaded word for so many addicts, certainly sex addicts. And it's like, you know, let's not go down this path. And, you know, why is this so important to talk about abstinence? Well, I think it's, I think it's a, scary, a scary thing for most of us as sex addicts because one of, our, one of our core beliefs as sex addicts is sex is my greatest need. So when we talk about abstinence, we... It's almost like uh, thinking that we're going to have to let go of one of the biggest needs in our lives. But abstinence is really an important uh, tool in recovery because of uh, the neurochemistry that's involved. We need a period of abstinence to reset that body chemistry. Um, and so what we've done, usually as addicts, uh, we have, we've just inundated ourselves with sexual material, with, with masturbation, or with acting out in, in other ways so that uh, we've developed tolerance um, and tolerance our body gets used to having this this chemistry that's going on and so we we actually come to the place where we need that sexual acting out in order to feel okay 
And so um, our bodies are made to come back to baseline. And so when we, uh, if we're ever going to get sober, we've got to go without that sexual acting out in order to get our bodies back to a place where we don't need sex in order to feel okay. So again, if you were to say that the difference between or contrasting sobriety and abstinence? Well, sobriety is, uh, sobriety is um, re- refraining from those bottom line behaviors. We're, we're, not, we're not acting out and we're actually making life changes um, from the inside out. Abstinence is a planned, intentional period uh, that we're we're going without sex, especially with our partner, um, in order to reset ourselves um, neurochemically and also to build an intimate relationship with our partner. So during that time of abstinence, and most of the time we talk about a 90-day period, but um, that may be adjusted here and there, but it's about really making some intentional strides toward develop, developing an intimate connection, putting into uh, place physical touch and, and connecting tools, uh, um, such as a check-in. We, we do a lot of check-in type um, uh, tools with partners so that there's a, a building in of that intimate connection and then then the sexual relationship is reinstigated to to kind of top that off instead of it being sex as being the only way that partners connect what i love about what you've said there is nature abhors a vacuum so you don't just stop as absent sitting there tapping your toes you know you're you're putting something else in there and that's that building of intimacy there's a novel thought you know building intimacy that is non-sexual so it's not just stop the sex or the sexual acting out, but really building intimacy, that's crucial. Yeah, and uh, we have a lot of guys come through that say, well, uh, you know, we, we've already done that because my wife won't have sex with me. But that's, <laughs> yeah, uh, right, yeah. That's really not what it's about. It's not about just going without the sex, but it's about making that intentional, especially with partners that have come through, come to a place in their recovery where they are wanting to have a, a closer relationship. That's especially a good time where we where we can refrain from that sexual relationship in order to be intentional about building a good foundation of, of other ways of being intentional. We're going to come back in just a moment, and we're going to talk about the whole realm of community or or groups, and, and certainly 12-step groups. Why, even has research found, it is so important to be part of a community, of a recovering community, uh, doing group therapy and 12 steps. And we'll do that in just a moment. We're talking about tools of recovery. I'm Jim Cress here with Counselor Kirk McDermott from Bethesda Workshops, and you are listening to A Place for Healing from Bethesda Workshops, and we'll be right back. Here is the Executive and Clinical Director of Bethesda Workshops, author and conference speaker, Marnie Faree. Bethesda Workshops is a place for healing from sex and relationship addiction. Located in Nashville, Tennessee, we offer help and hope to those who are personally struggling and to their partners. Our four-day intensive workshops are the equivalent of eight to 12 months of weekly counseling. It's the most cost-effective and easiest way to get a huge jump start or boost in the healing process. Contact Bethesda Workshops today at BethesdaWorkshops.org or 1-866-464-HEAL. That's 866-464-4325 or BethesdaWorkshops.org.
Place for Healing from Bethesda Workshops. And I am Jim Kress, joined here today by my colleague and good friend, Kirk McDermott. And we're talking about tools of recovery in the, the whole recovery journey, especially for sexual addiction. If you want to know more, there are other programs to listen to and more information at BethesdaWorkshops.org. Or you may always call toll-free 1-866-464-HEAL, H-E-A-L. said right before break that we're going to come back and talk about community meetings, uh, group therapy, certainly the 12-step groups. And uh, I know Patrick Carnes has found that he'll say it now more in the term of hours, but he would say, in essence, at one point, like two years of group therapy, two years of individual therapy, two years of an ongoing of 12-step work. We do group work, ops, uh, obviously, here at Bethesda. Why do you find 12 steps and or group therapy, why are they so important versus a guy just saying, I'm going to kind of go it alone, maybe just with my therapist? Why is community so important? Well, one of the things about addiction is it, uh, at its core, it's, it, it's an intimacy disorder. And so uh, most of us have spent our lives hiding. Um, there's shame. There's, there's hurts in there that, we, that, we, that, that have driven us to kind of hide behind walls. And so... Um, those wounds that actually happen in community, those wounds that we're hiding uh, are things that uh, have happened in relationships. And I I just think it's a spiritual principle that wounds that that happen in relationship get healed in relationship. And so I don't know that anybody ever gets gets any kind of sobriety or healing without actually developing these intimate connections within a community. Let's start with... um kind of the the foundation of what goes on in we know what goes on we're by ourselves a lot so you go in a group some of the other things that people get when they they go to a group some may call it a support group it may be again even group therapy what are they getting out of these groups well the the great thing about a support group is that it it really is a um, the, the people are coming there for a specific purpose and so it's it's a much much easier place for people to to find that acceptance. It, it's uh, they can come in and develop those trusting relationships. It's a because it's a safer place. Uh, sometimes we, we we may be a part of a church or an organization somewhere, but because of the shame that's in our lives and the walls that we built hiding from other people, it's it's right. very very difficult in those kind of places that that we're ever going to become open and intimate with people when we have this uh, when we have this disease. And so those support groups offer a place where people are already, it's, it's, it's about this addiction and people are talking about it and opening up. And so it's, so especially for somebody that's coming in new, um, they're coming into a place where it's expected that, hey, this is what we're talking about. And we're, we're, actually, we're actually disclosing these things and talking about the addiction and how it affects our lives. And, and so that acceptance is already built into the program. And we begin to build those trusting relationships with the people that are there um, we get to we get to talk with other addicts, and so we get to uh, you know we get to live by their experiences as well. You know, so we get those that mirror imaging from people around us, um, and and in that process too, we we begin to be uh, get that confrontation of our self deception because there's so many so many times we when we're in our addiction we can't really see ourselves for who we are, and in these meetings there are people who who have already begun to work through that process and and they can gently confront some of the things that they see in our lives to be able to point that out and help us to see it for ourselves. 
And obviously, uh, any of you listening today, if you go specifically to our BethesdaWorkshops.org website, you can see the different 12-step fellowships, Sexaholics Anonymous, uh, Sex Addicts Anonymous, Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous, the Life Groups, Faithful and True Groups, uh, Celebrate Recovery, which has gotten very popular. Uh, in many, many churches, just again go to BethesdaWorkshops.org and you can see and find out more about some of these recovery groups. This this thing that's been a slogan, has been around AA for a long time, and we'll talk about it in our work and our workshops, uh, how great it would be if a guy would come into recovery, and for that matter, a man or a woman, and do 90 meetings in 90 days. And guys are going, you know, come on, that's really 90 meetings in the, why would anyone do 90 meetings in 90 days if they even thought about doing it why well when we're early in recovery it is uh it, it's really about immersing ourselves in something that's new and so we're, we're immersing ourselves into that that uh a different way of thinking we're getting involved in that group and and the and the different readings that are going on confronting the different um uh self-deception and the and the, the what's been yeah. happening in our lives and 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 it's also a heightened level of support because early in recovery, it, it's just very, very difficult to uh, to just let go of those old behaviors. And so there's oftentimes just uh, we're going through a period of withdrawal. We've got all kinds of cravings. There's other turmoil that's happening in our lives with broken relationships and and you know all kinds of other most of the time other drama. And so the, these 90 meetings in 90 days is a place for just uh, unconditional support from people who kind of can can understand and can can know where we've been, where we're at, and give us hope and give us uh, um, a place to talk and also a place to make some connections. Uh, so um, especially during that first, those early days in recovery. Why do we put such an emphasis on making phone calls? Because that is, you know that around the 12 steps in recovery, that's huge. And just about everybody listening is going to have a cell phone nearby. Why do we make such an emphasis on making calls regularly? Well, again, it's about uh, it's about developing community for one thing, um, but it's also about getting outside of ourselves. Like I was saying before, this uh, this addiction is, is is so much about we've lived in isolation and we've tried to go it on our own, and and so we've we've had our own ways of trying to deal with things. Uh, most of the time, we are um, you know in in the in the process of addiction, we are coming up against these. Uh, cravings or different things and 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 so we just keep them quiet we and we end up and we end up acting back out over time and so we we teach guys to reach out um, being able to contact somebody talk about what's going on making and making that daily phone call is a is something we put into place if if we put something into place on a day-to-day basis that's when we begin to change a habit um, we don't make changes in our lives unless we make unless we change something we do every day. And so we encourage just begin to get in that into that uh, routine of making that daily phone call, reaching out, talking to somebody, just checking in. What am I, what am I feeling today? Is there anything going on in my life? Um, you know, not just not just hey, how you doing, but hey, here's what I'm feeling. Here's what's happening in my life. Here's here, you know, maybe something I'm coming up against or something that I'm experiencing, so that we get into that uh, that habit of of connecting with other people and that also helps us then at the time where we may be running into some kind of crisis or craving that we've already put we've already have this well-established pattern of making that daily phone call we're also much more likely to reach out at the time when we have some kind of uh, some kind of issue coming up let's talk about uh, if someone gets into the 12 steps at any level there's this 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 person called a sponsor why is it, I got a counselor? I don't. I don't need a sponsor. I've got a life coach or a mentor or a pastor or a good friend. 
What is a sponsor? Why is a sponsor so important? Well, a sponsor is, is somebody who is actually um, has an addiction, um, similar addiction to where we're at. They're, where there's somebody that we find within the program, um, one of the meetings that we go to. It's somebody who's got a, a you know a more sobriety. They're further down the road than we are. Somebody that we can kind of connect with, that we can identify with. And, and most of the time we teach guys uh, how to find a sponsor is finding that guy that has, man, he's got the things that you're looking for. And uh, so it's a person that uh, that can really, that you can identify with and that you respect. But then this, guy, this sponsor is somebody who can hold you accountable. Um, they're they're going to be a guide that can help you work through those the 12 steps, guide you through that process, encourage you along the way in, in your new sobriety. Um they can, they're, they're somebody that just accepts you, and uh, um, they, they're a model for, um, for a way to, to walk out this process. Because and, and they've walked it out and they get it. Because they have, absolutely. And, and that's, that's an important part of, of finding a sponsor. It's got to be somebody that's, uh, that, that has walked this out and is walking this out still. Um, and the previous point, we talked about making phone calls. That's a standard protocol that early on, especially people will say they will call their sponsor like once a day just to check in or on a frequent basis. That ties it back to our last point, sponsor and making calls. Yeah, and, and almost every sponsor out there is going to be expecting that uh, his sponsee is going to be making that call. Um, Let's take a break. We're going to come back and uh, we'll wrap up our program today, A Place for Healing from Bethesda Workshops. We're talking about these tools of recovery. They're very important. You can find out a lot more than we're going to get to on our program today by going to BethesdaWorkshops.org. I am Jim Kress here with my good friend and colleague Kirk McDermott. And again, you're listening to A Place for Healing from Bethesda Workshops. Here is the executive and clinical director of Bethesda Workshops, author and conference speaker, Marnie Faree. Bethesda Workshops uses the best clinical strategies shared by leaders who are at least master's level licensed counselors. All facilitators have specific training in treating sex addiction and underlying issues. A number of our staff are actually CSATs, which is the highest certification in our field. Bethesda Workshops is also a distinctly Christian program that emphasizes grace-based spiritual principles as the foundation for healing. Contact Bethesda Workshops today at 1-866-464-4325. That's 866-464-4325 or BethesdaWorkshops.org. The program is A Place for Healing. Welcome back. I'm Jim Kress, and it's really good to be with you. Be sure to check out, uh, as you hear during these breaks, BethesdaWorkshops.org and the telephone number 866 464 
Kirk McDermott with us, my good friend, colleague, and counselor. And we're talking today and have been about tools of recovery. I certainly want to be real practical about that, right? All of the tools that uh, we use, and certainly the tools have been used for years at Bethesda Workshop, well, they're kind of tried and true and uh, based on research. And it is a journey, this whole recovery journey. We've talked about probably a three- to five-year recovery journey. And uh, one of the things that's very, very important is that you have that long-term view, that long-term approach to recovery. You get the right people to work with. You want someone certainly that understands sexual addiction. That's that's so true. Sometimes you find someone like many on the staff at Bethesda who they themselves are recovering sex addicts or co-addicts or codependents, and they understand. Um, well, we're uh, nearing uh, the end of our time to, together today that, again, we call a place for healing. And one of the dynamics that's so important, we're going to turn to that right now, Kirk, is the whole realm of, of self-care, really, truly uh, taking care of yourself. And I think of the men I've worked with for so often, often we'll do at the workshop, uh, we'll have that, that kind of going home plan and, and people will think, you know, guys will think, oh, wow, yeah, sure, yeah, I, I've got, maybe I need more sleep, cut back on work, need to eat better, blah, 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 blah. And it's like, no, it really is true. Self-care uh, for, for everyone, especially in recovery, it's so, it's so vitally important, Kirk. These ways of self-care just enable us to live a balanced life, uh, to live in a healthy kind of lifestyle so that we can stay out of those extremes, which then help to develop that sense of sobriety and put some, put some distance between us and the addiction. Let's get real specific, and uh, we'll wrap up our program pretty much with this on these tools of recovery, the different aspects or components of positive self-care. It's just some things you'd want to fly over maybe at 30,000 feet to let our, our listeners know what, what's really important here. Well, we need to be able to take care of ourselves physically. Um, that means, you know, how we eat, exercise, getting enough sleep, making sure we keep work in balance to where we're not overworking. Uh, we need to get evaluated medically, you know, making sure, because there's oftentimes when we have an addiction, there, there sometimes there's a co-occurring uh, physical issue, uh, ADD or, or anxiety, mm-hmm. or sometimes we've acted out and we haven't gotten checked out for STDs. So we just need to be have an evaluation done, making sure that uh, that we're taking care of ourselves. And, and also sometimes, uh, sometimes addicts, uh, you know, part of the addiction is the trauma. Is there, is there some PTSD that we've got to deal mm-hmm. with? And, yeah. and so... Um, we also have to take care of ourselves spiritually, and uh, so that's we, there needs to be some kind of spiritual exercises that we're doing. And, and even so many of us have been in some religious backgrounds, and so we're not talking about religiosity, but we're talking about developing uh, a real connection, a sense of spirituality, a relationship with, with God and our higher power. Um, we've got to also take care of ourselves mentally and emotionally. So. We've got to learn how to have fun again. Sometimes, hmm. sometimes yeah. we, you know, the the addiction a lot of times for the addict is the only way that we've actually had fun. It was our mm-hmm. it was our outlet, and so many of us have to learn how to develop some ways of having fun and, and just enjoyment, downtime, um, taking care of ourselves mentally and emotionally. Uh, some of the tools that we talk about are just journaling, being able to to write down our feelings. I know that this is a this is a tool that I've not really enjoyed. I didn't like putting it into practice, but I do know that uh, uh, when I've made myself do it, it's been invaluable to be able to, to yeah. check in with yeah. what's going on inside. Because oftentimes what we've got going on inside seems to make sense in our head, but it's really messed up, you know, our own best yeah, thinking. I like that. And when I get it out and putting on, put it on paper, it uh, it actually takes on a whole different light and I can kind of make sense of what's happening. And then also, I, it has been invaluable for me, too, to just go back through journals and look at uh, 
just look at progress. It's it's amazing to uh, it's fun to see where I was and, and where God's brought me uh, in this process. Let's talk about the role of individual counseling. Again, we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about that and why that's so important. We often say, do your own work. Get out there in counseling and do your work. Absolutely. We, uh, the, the, uh, so many different issues that, that need to be faced in the addiction can, can only really be addressed by working with a therapist um, because most of the time those of us in, in our addiction have, have some kind of trauma or neglect in our background. And so we've got to get in with a counselor who can, who can work with us on, on uncovering and understanding that trauma, how it's affected us, uh, what we do with it, and bringing about some healing for that. And we've also got to begin dealing with those core beliefs that, that come out of that, out of that uh, shame, um, out of those uh, events, those trauma events. Um, oftentimes, like I said, uh, we, when we're in addiction, we're also struggling with other, with other mental health issues of some anxiety or depression or ADD. And so a therapist helps us to be able to understand how those interact with the addiction and being able to get some help for those things. And uh, really, um, necessary part of recovery is is with a therapist being able to address our relationships because most yeah. of the time as a as an addict we've we have caused some some damage to our primary relationships our spouse or maybe family members and and uh, those are very they're tricky areas to work out on our own if we don't have a third party a knowledgeable third party and a therapist to be able to help guide that process it really becomes difficult to do it on our on our own so that counseling, getting in with an individual counselor and then also with somebody who can work with us on our relationships in a marriage counseling setting is really key for, for, uh, for recovery. All of our listeners, of course, can go to BethesdaWorkshops.org just to find out uh, about some of the different links for places to find a good therapist near you. And, uh, again, that's uh, www.BethesdaWorkshops.org. We're going to wrap up the program today. And, Kirk, I'm just going to just ask you about um, an area that uh, we, we talk about, SLIP being a short lapse in progress. People fear it. Sex addicts, you know, almost sometimes feel like they predict it. Sometimes they just, um, maybe they're not working recovery. And what we're talking about is this thing called a slip. And they're thinking, I've heard people say, and I don't like this. They'll say, you know, you're going to slip. There's no doubt about it. I don't believe that's true. I think it's highly likely you're going to struggle with it. So there's a lot of controversy around slips. Let's talk about that. What do you, what do you think about slips in recovery? Well, I think it's something that we we've got to talk about because if we don't talk about it, then then we're also setting somebody up for shame. So we need to expect that it can happen in someone's recovery, and we need to make a plan around what do we do when it when and yes. if it happens. Um, we don't need to expect it, and so, so setting ourselves up for failure. But most people in recovery have some kind of slip along the way. Um, but what we do with that slip makes all the difference in, in whether we stay in recovery or whether we go into a full-blown relapse. Yeah, by the way, so it was a slip, and then a guy says, you know, uh, sorry, and slip, slip, slip. Now it's a full-blown relapse. What do you find from slip one that goes on between a slip one and a full relapse? How are they getting there to the full relapse? Well, what happens usually in a, the slip becomes a relapse is when we go into our shame, we don't talk about it, we get into our all-or-nothing thinking. Well, I screwed this up, so I've screwed up my whole recovery, and then we just and so we don't we don't go back and acknowledge it. We we're, the pride sets in. I don't want to tell anybody about this. We go back into our secrecy. We build the walls. We keep people out, and we put on the mask. I act like everything's okay when everything's not on the inside, which mm. is which is just the model of the addiction that we've been in. 
And so what we encourage in a, slat, a slip is, is being able right away, immediately, begin talking about it, bring somebody in, um, let them know what's happened, and, and, and get, uh, um, get some support in being able to deal with that. And we can learn so much from a slip. A slip doesn't have to be um, a backwards slide. It, it can be something that actually catapults us forward if we use it as a stepping stone instead of a stumbling block. Like many of us have said, don't waste the slip. Do an autopsy on it. Do a postmortem. What was going on right before all that? And don't waste the slip, right? Absolutely. So there's so much knowledge that can be gained from that slip because we, we start, it's in those it's in those down times that we go back and we find out where, you know, there's a hole. Maybe there's a hole in my recovery. What was I not looking for? What have I, what a need have I not addressed? Maybe there's a place in my background and my trauma that I really haven't fully dealt with. And, and so something got in the way or, or maybe I've just gotten lax on some of my yeah. on some of my tools, and so it gives me a chance to really step back in and and, and examine where I'm at in my recovery. And, and and then most of the time, when when somebody really does those things, they find that their recovery jumps forward by by a long. A little 24-hour rule can be a helpful thing, can it? Don't you think? Just to say, if you're going to slip, whoever your person is, check it in within 24 hours. Yeah, because if we don't, what um, one we start living into that shame place. And we begin to start keeping those secrets. So we, we teach a 24-hour rule. We need to check in with our accountability par- partner, our sponsor, um, it, especially even our spouse. If it's if there's been that, uh, you know, that we've we've laid the groundwork in our primary relationship to that. Uh, if I have a slip, I need to be confronted and confessed within 24 hours. It, it can be a real big tool to build trust and intimacy in the relationship. It sounds counterintuitive, but but when we actually when we actually confess those things, it actually it begins to build trust within the relationship so there's not the secrecy going on. I want to end with this in our conversation today, and I've really appreciate, appreciated you stopping by and being with us. Why is a workshop model so important? And often we'll encourage guys to do it on a front end of their recovery, to come for a three- to four-day intensive like you and I have been part of here for many, many years. Why is that workshop? Why can that be so crucial? Uh, well, I work with a lot of people in my office who are, who are dealing with sex addiction, and, uh, but I always encourage the guys to come to a, to a workshop. There's just so much that can be gained from a workshop that I can't give these guys in my office on a, on a, yeah. on a daily or weekly basis. Uh, the workshop provides uh, just an intense, um, an intense atmosphere. There's a group setting. There's there's so much going on throughout the day. Uh, there's a learn there's a learning component, but then yeah. there's that group component. Yes. And there, what's gained in the workshop with all the other guys going through this uh, in a group setting, um, in that intense environment, mm. uh, we see that uh, the the guys make a probably close to what a what would be a year's worth of progress on mm-hmm. a, on a on a weekly counseling basis and i don't know that it even can be measured in that because yes. what what happens in the counselor's office just a one on one is there's some good stuff that happens in counseling i'm a counselor i'm not going to downplay That's counseling right, right. but but uh, we cannot we can't just uh, as a counselor i can't give what um, what a workshop and that group setting is going to provide for us we both know you open up good work in a counseling session say usually around 50 minutes and you get warmed up and you're going you got to close it down we've watched these guys for years be here at bethesda workshops and and men and women and couples being able to open it up and just stay kind of in the process for three to four days and be in community where everybody's there and getting honest and authentic and um that workshop that intensity is so important and we've both experienced also clients that come back from a workshop 
and it's like the work we get to do now in the 50-minute hour is um, is incredible. I want to, as we wrap today, just thank you for uh, being with us today. And um, Kirk and I both share. Uh, we have our own recovery stories, don't we? We're not just here as clinicians, but we have our own addiction recovery stories. That's kind of a great part of the journey, isn't it, to be a, a fellow struggler with the people we work with? Absolutely. Every time I do a workshop, it's it's just a shot in the arm to me for my own recovery. I I learn a lot about myself and just connecting with the guys and helping to uh, you know bring them to a, 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 a kind of an understanding of their yeah. addiction and, and jumpstart their progress. I I always come away from the workshop <laughs> exhausted, but also That's exhilarated right. uh, that uh, and and I'm excited about my own recovery. So yeah, absolutely. It's it's neat to be able to be a part of that process. Indeed it is. Kirk, thanks so much for being with us. And uh, to all of you listening today, what is your process? If you are someone who has struggled, maybe you've never talked with anyone about the secret life that you've had, or you're married to someone, you've seen some of the signs, and you know maybe you've buried your head in the sand, or you've just thought, please, God, please let him get healed. Let, let something happen in his life that will change who he is and indeed stop this this problem of sexual addiction, whatever you want to call it. I want you to know that there is a lot of help. I've said it often here. We've got more help than you've got problems. That's right. Whether you're the spouse of a man struggling with pornography, affairs, sexual addiction, or you're that man right now. Again, check out all the way through the website, www.bethesdaworkshops.org, or make a phone call today, 866-464- 4325. Listen to some of the other programs here on the website today. I hope you'll do that and pass the word. Let people know about these different radio programs, podcasts, some people call them. We're here. It's called A Place for Healing. I want to thank my good friend and colleague Kirk McDermott for being with us today talking about tools of recovery and thank you for listening. I'm Jim Cress. This has been A Place for Healing from Bethesda Workshops. (laughs) 